I'm going to tell you, you're about to be blessed. I had an opportunity to meet him several years ago in which we served together in ministry while pastoring the Center of Praise in Sacramento. And he led our Spanish-speaking congregation, Central de Alabanza. And it grew from a small group to a large group and even expanded to become what is now known as the Vita Church in Sacramento. And uh, just a wonderful man, wonderful husband and father. And uh, I esteem him as a spiritual son in the gospel. And our pastor also esteems him as a very, very dear friend, a close friend. And he's come to share with us. And I know you will not be the same once you hear the teaching today. Would you welcome to the Bridgeway family, Pastor Alex Weiss, as he comes. Thank you so much, Bridgeway. It's so good to be here with you. I'm excited to share God's word with you today. Um, just as uh, Bishop Parnell was talking about uh, how I've known him for years and uh, just recently your pastor, Pastor Lance, uh, we serve uh, in the, on the executive team of City Pastors Fellowship and that's how I've uh, come to know him. Um, but what has really attracted me to Pastor Lance is not only his hunger for God's word, but his hunger for God's presence in his life. And I thought, wow, I like that about him. And uh, I just, I said, I got to be his friend. So that's how we just connected. And just him and I as friends, uh, it's been a neat thing to see how we both together have hungered after God. And that's kind of what has drawn us closer as good friends. And I thought, you know, if this man, so special, hungering after God, I could only imagine what his church is like. And uh, it was interesting that he invited me to come speak with you. And uh, when I uh, accepted the invitation, I thought this is going to be fun because Lance is a fun guy and Lance loves God. And I know I'm going to have a good time with Bridgeway because Bridgeway is a fun church and Bridgeway loves God. So... With that being said, I'm really happy to be here with you to share God's word. And um, so you have been uh, seeing the theme of uh, the year of identity this uh, entire year. And uh, Pastor Lance and uh, those also pa uh, like Pastor Parnell and others that have been speaking uh, have talked about this topic in different uh, books of the Bible. And right now you're looking at the book of Galatians. And uh, I'm going to touch on a few verses from Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, to uh, chapter 3, verse 9. I might not touch on all those verses, but I'm going to pull out some truths and principles uh, in these verses. And um, the title of my message today is A Life of Faith. A Life of Faith. And I subtitled it with the subtitle, What Defines Me? A question. What defines me? What, what defines you? What defines me? Uh, what's our identity? And the fill-in there is faith in the work of Jesus or faith in the work of Christ is the foundation of our true identity. And I'm going to explain that today, how it's the foundation, the finished work of Jesus on the cross and our faith on that finished work is the foundation of who we really are in Christ, our identity. But what defines me? What, what defines you? Every day we struggle with uh, the definition of who we are. Now, why do we struggle with the definition of who we are? And a lot of times we get up in the morning uh, confident about who we are, but then the challenges come our way. 
And the questions come along with, who am I? We continue to struggle on the definition of our identity of who we are. Now, why is that? It's because every day we have external pressures upon us of expectations that put us in a place where we have to perform so that we could live up to them. Either those expectations are in our work environment, there are bosses and they expect things from us and because of those expectations we have to perform, we have to work hard to be good employees so that we can get a raise <laughs> or so that we can get a better position or however it is but we or so that we would we won't lose our jobs <laughs> but we perform and in this world there's always expectations this is, our society expects things from us so with those expectations it produces a performance on us where we're continually trying to define who we are according to the expectations that we're living under now we not only see that with the the things of this world but we also see that with family and our our, our spouses they expect things from us throw out the trash <laughs> there's a level of expectation but that expectation that is there it continually pressures us to perform it pressures us to perform. Why? Because we want to be accepted. We want to be affirmed. We want to be loved. So we live up to expectations and we continue to live up to them, not only with our spouses, but with our children. Sometimes we place expectations upon them to be something that we want them to be. And when we place those expectations on them, then they have to live under performance. So that they can make us happy. That doesn't mean that they are happy doing that. That doesn't even mean that we are happy when we're living under expectations. See, what ends up happening when we live under these pressures, external pressures of expectations, and we continue to perform, is we become frustrated. We become frustrated, we become tired, we become discouraged. Sometimes we can even become angry or we can become bitter. Why? Because it's always a constant pressure. And on top of that, which it should not be, but it happens many times, people also feel that pressure when they come to church. The pressure of expectations, the pressure of that I have to be a good Christian and I have to do good things and I have to... A list of things and a list of expectations. And why shouldn't that be? Because, see... The Lord has delivered us from the law of expectations. Amen. See, the Old Testament, now I want to apply that here. What does that have to do with our message, the expectations? See, because the Old Testament, was, there was placed the law over God's people and over all of humanity, basically, that created a level of expectations, high standards, holy standards of God that basically could not be met could not be met. It doesn't matter how much you performed, you still fell short of the mark. You still fell short of being righteous because if you were even guilty of one commandment, you were guilty of all of them. 
The Bible teaches. So because you fell short, there was always this sense of guilt, the sense of shame, the sense of self-condemnation or judgment and condemnation of others. And so you were always falling short. These expectations would create a level of frustration, discouragement, hopelessness, and anger. And ultimately, people falling away. Now, this is the beauty of the gospel, and we understand it. That God gave us Jesus to make up the difference of the expectations of the law. He, he loved us so much that He said, You know what? I don't want you to live under these pressures any longer and feel that you're always coming up short because you're sinners. I'm going to take care of that once and for all so that you could completely feel accepted by me, loved by me, received by me, affirmed by me. I'm giving you Jesus so that on the cross, and not only that, His life of obedience makes up for our disobedience. His life of righteousness makes up for our unrighteousness. And His death on the cross takes upon Himself all of our sins. So not only is what Jesus did, not only does that give us forgiveness, but it does beyond than that. Beyond that, it gives us a new identity. It gives us a new nature and a new identity where we become Righteous, because He places His righteousness upon us. What does that mean? Let me define it really quick. What does that mean? That means that, see, if we were just pardoned, if we were just pardoned for our sins and we're released from the, the punishment of them because we're pardoned, that would be okay. But we would still carry around the record of our sins that we were pardoned from. Does that make sense? We're pardoned, but we still carry around the record. But see, Jesus didn't come to pardon us. Jesus came to take away not only our sins, but our unrighteousness, place it upon Himself on the cross, and give us His clean righteous record upon us. In other words, He's saying, hey... You don't have to define yourself anymore by your past mistakes and by your past sins because guess what? I've erased them all. I have placed that long list of sins upon myself on the cross. So now my righteousness is yours. And now that you have my righteousness, this is who you are. You are righteous. What does this mean? That means that I don't have to perform and do righteous deeds so that I can become righteous. But I do righteous deeds because I already am righteous. That's my identity. This is who I am. See, and many times we fall into the performance of trying to do good deeds so that people could see that I'm a righteous person. So that people could see that I'm a good person. I have to do good deeds. Well, I got news for you. Jesus already calls you. God already calls you a righteous person. God already calls you a good person because He's given you the righteousness of His Son. That is your identity. That is who you are. So when we begin to embrace who we are in Christ, when we begin to embrace our identity, then our experience begins to change. We're not walking in defeat any longer. This is the problem many times we have. When we don't live a victorious Christian life or an abundant Christian life, where we feel like we continue to go from one problem and just getting out of one problem and I'm going into another one. And pastor, it feels like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, Victoria. I don't know what the Bible says, Victoria. I never feel victorious. I never feel like I'm, 
I'm, I'm, I'm on top of things. I always feel like I'm on the bottom of things. Let me understand what I'm talking about. See, but I got news for you. Independently of what you feel. See, your feelings do not validate truth many times. Independently of what you feel. Independently of what you feel. You may feel like you're always on the bottom. See, but the reality is in Christ Jesus, you're always on top. The reality is in Christ Jesus, you're not a victim, you are a victor. And see, if you continue to define yourself as a victim, or define yourself as a failure, or define yourself as someone that's always falling short, your experience will continue to reflect what you believe about yourself. But when you begin to believe in who you really are in Christ, see, the circumstances don't change many times, but that's not the issue here. It's not the circumstances that change. It's you who changes when you begin to believe who you really are. See, when I begin to walk in my identity, in the fact that I am righteous, I am fully blessed, I am fully accepted, I am fully loved, I am His child, I've been made righteous in His sight. This is what's beautiful. I don't have to perform and do good things so that hopefully He could accept me. Hopefully He could bless me. See, the reason why I'm going through this problem, many times we think, is because I haven't been a good Christian. I haven't read my Bible enough. I haven't prayed enough. No, that's not the issue. Jesus already took care of all that on the cross. The issue is how you think about yourself. See, because if you think about yourself as a child of God, if you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are a son, you are a daughter. What does this mean? This, mean, this means God's got your back. This means that heaven is backing me up. This means that it doesn't matter what situation I'm confronting or what difficulties coming my way or what pressures of of expectations are coming my way I will not allow those expectations to define me I'm already defined I'm already loved I'm already accepted I'm already blessed I am already a child of God I already have heaven backing me up I am not gonna allow and let's just put it this way what if in my job I'm not doing enough to get there. I, or, or I'm doing it, or let's just say I'm doing enough to get there. But somebody else gets that position. That experience could pressure me into thinking that I'm a failure. Pressure me into thinking that I'm not doing enough. Does that make sense? In the same way in my home. What if my wife would continue to, and at times it happens in marriage, right? Tell me you're not doing enough. Oh my God. I think that's the number one fight we have many times in marriage, right? Because the expectations are so high for each other. I, we got to learn what, we got to learn to know what unconditional love really means, folks. Unconditional love means I'm not placing expectations upon you. Because if I place expectations upon you, I'm pressuring you to perform. And when you perform, you're going to get tired and you're going to get angry. And you're not going to like this marriage anymore. And when I put those expectations on you and you're performing, then you're trying to become someone that you are not. You're trying to become someone that I want you to be. And love is this. 
I am taking them off you because I want you to be who God has created you to be. I love you for you. See, and and this is what the Lord is teaching us too. It's like we place so much expectations on other people and, and we place a long list of things and a long list of legalisms and rules and regulations. And see... When we came to Jesus, let me help you understand. I'm not trying to annul here the the commandments of the Lord. No way. But we have to understand that when we came to Jesus, we didn't fall in love with His commandments. We fell in love with Him. Let me define it to you this way. When I got married to my wife, I didn't marry a list. I didn't fall in love with the list. My wife didn't say, oh, you want to you wanna fall in love with me? All right, let me write my 500 rules for you and see if you're going to fall in love with that. And I didn't say, oh my gosh, it's so perfect. I love those. I love your list. I can't imagine spending the rest of my life trying to fulfill one by one by one. I fell in love with her. I fell in love with her person. I fell in love with how she loved me. I fell in love with the goodness of her person. Do you understand? When we came to Christ, we fell in love with Him and His person and His love for us. He gave it all for us on the cross. So what does this mean? Now that I'm a Christian, He doesn't now impose rules upon me. So that now I can continue to live. No, the commandments for me become a set of values for me to embrace. But they're not expectations because Christ already made up the difference. He made up the difference. Now, let me tell you why I'm saying this. It's because when I embrace my identity as righteous, immediately what I believe about myself, that's what I begin to do. See, many people are thinking, no, 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 you can't just say that, pastor, because what if, you know, you're, you're kind of giving someone license to sin? No, how could that happen if I begin to believe that I am righteous in Christ? See, when I begin to believe that I am righteous in Christ, that Christ has made me righteous, He has made me holy, my experience begins to change. See, when I came to Christ, I gave Him my heart, He became my Savior. But when I began to change, it's when I surrendered to Him my beliefs. When I surrendered to Him what I believe about myself, what I believe about Him, what I believe about others, to embrace what He says about me and about others, then everything began to change. See, because what you do is what you believe in. It's based on what you believe in. And when I begin to believe, see, this is the whole point. We, we are righteous in Christ. We are holy in Christ. So we have to understand that because we are holy in Christ, being holy, sometimes we have sinful experiences. But we are holy. But, we're, but we always define, our, we tend to define ourselves as sinners, striving for holy moments. That's how we tend to define ourselves. Oh, you know, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I'm a sinner and I'm striving for holy moments. And the Lord is saying, I didn't place that expectation on you. I already call you holy in Christ. That's what I, that's your identity. I am calling you holy. I'm calling you righteous. So then when you begin to embrace that, 
then your experience begins to change. This is my identity. Now, let's go into the text real quick. Because I have a little bit of time here. But let me show you what happened. Because the great apostle Peter, he kind of slipped up a bit on his identity. Yes, the great apostle Peter slipped up on his identity. He went through a moment of expectations from others that made him begin to lose himself, lose his identity. Why? Okay, let me put, give you the context. I know you probably heard a little bit about this from Pastor Lance last week, but uh, Peter, Paul is in Antioch. It's a Gentile church. You know, the majority of the people there are Gentiles, came to Jesus. And so they're sitting down, having a good time. Peter comes up from Jerusalem, hangs out with Paul, hangs out with everybody. They're having a good time. He's sitting there eating pork chops and eating ham and cheese and eating bacon. He's really enjoying it because it's like, we don't eat this at home. You got to understand why. This is some good stuff. I know, I love ham. And I love bacon. Pork chops are pretty good too. So he's eating it up, right? And then Jerusalem sends over some Jewish Christians. These Jewish Christians had rules on them that they wanted to impose. See, they believed that, yes, you're saved by faith, in Christ, but to keep that salvation, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow rule of the law. You need to go back into performance. You need to go back. So when they arrive, Peter sees them and, and, and Peter is like, I got to make a choice. Am I going to stand in who I am in Christ as a free person in the Lord to do His will but freely, not under expectations of any law or impositions of any expectations from anyone. Am I going to stand in the freedom of my identity or am I going to compromise because of the pressures of expectations? They came in and they started to impose that. And Peter started to slide over into legalism once again. He started selling out and compromising out of fear. See, that's, that's one of the problems that we have. When we step out of our identity back into performance, under expectations and not under freedom, because we're afraid that we're going to lose the acceptance of others. I got news for you. When you embrace who you are in Christ, Sometimes just because you embrace that, you are going to lose the acceptance of others. See, but when you're so assured into who God has called you to be, you're so assured into the fact that He's accepted you 100%, it really doesn't affect you much what other people think. It doesn't bother you. Why? Because you are fully accepted and fully loved by God. You know, and... and it, it's just the way it is. There's, there's going to be people that don't agree with you, folks. It's just the way it is. And sometimes we want to please everybody. We don't want everybody against us. And we want, see, but this is the point. When you embrace who you are in Christ, you don't walk in fear any longer. You walk in confidence. You walk in faith. You walk in identity. You walk in authority. Why? Because you are not 
going to come under the slavery of expectations of anyone. Because you are free to be who God has called you to be in Christ. So let me give you the, the, back, the, the, the story here. In, in verse 14, kind of going back to chapter 2, verse 14, Galatians. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. It's interesting that he says their conduct. He didn't say their sermons. See, because sometimes we can impose expectations on others even with our body language. It's like you guys took communion earlier, right? And it's like you look at somebody and they well, I don't know if that person's right with the Lord. I don't know if they're fulfilling the scriptures in the right way. And I don't know if they're doing the right thing. So, you know, but I know this person to the left of me. And I know this person. I'm going to take communion with this person. Immediately this other person starts feeling the cold shoulder. Does that make sense? My body language is judging them many times. This is what was happening to Peter. His body, he wasn't, his body language was judging him. He wasn't sitting down with them anymore, hanging out with them. He was even saying, ooh, they're eating pork chop? They're eating ham? And then Paul gets up and confronts him. And he says, I said to Cephas, to Peter, before them all, verse 14, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? What is up with you, man? What's happening to you? You're, miss, you're, 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 you're like going backwards. Why are you doing this? It's like you're, you're going backwards and you're saying that it's not good for them to do that and it's not good for them to follow that or it's not good for them to eat ham <laughs> when I can even smell your breath and I could smell the ham still on it. Sometimes we tend to sway back and forth because of the pressures of expectations. And we don't stand firm in who we are because we're still confused about who we are in Christ. We continue to see ourselves as something that we are not in Christ Jesus. So he establishes how we are righteous in his eyes, in the Lord's eyes. He says, we ourselves are Jews. He's telling Peter this, but he's also writing it to the Galatians, all of them. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. It's established. So we also have believed. I love the way he says, yet we know. Come on, Peter. You know already. This is gospel 101. And, and, and you're forgetting gospel 101. That it's not... You're not justified by the works of the law, but yet you're going back there. But you're going back there, not because you love the law, not because you love what it feels like to be under its pressure, but because you are afraid of what people are going to say. It takes risk to live in your identity. That's why when you do live it, the beautiful thing about it is that you understand that you are fully embraced and fully loved by heaven. And heaven backs you up no matter what anybody says on earth. So it's like, what are you doing? You know this already, Peter. And then I love verse 17, he says it. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, Peter... Peter, 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 Peter. 
we cannot be tearing down what Christ built by faith. His works. You're tearing that down by what He did because you're saying it's not enough because you need to perform to reach it. Any type of rules and regulations you impose to somebody so that they could keep their status as righteous, hear what I'm saying, it's, it nullifies the work of the cross for that person. I, but, but I'm encouraging them to follow Christ. Definitely. Definitely. I'm not saying don't tell them what the Bible says. Definitely. But when we impose it on them, this is a rule, this is what you have to do, and this because if you don't do it, you're going to go where? <laughs> we put level of expectations on these people that they don't look at Jesus anymore as a person, they look at Him as a rule list. And if they see Him as a rule list, for the most part, they're going to perform for a little bit, but they're not going to last. How many understand that? Because it's not, God didn't call them to perform God already said, hey, I took care of it on the cross. Now what we do, we do it out of gratitude. We do it out of joy. We do it out of love because of Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. I don't do it so that I can become more righteous, more holy, more better. No! I do it because I already am holy. I already am righteous. I already am accepted. I already am loved. I'm already a child of the King. What I do reflects who I am. What you do reflects who you are. So let me conclude with this. He tells, he continues to tell Peter, guess what? Not only has the death of Christ brought righteousness to us as an identity. But the life of Christ, His resurrection, death and resurrection, has given me a new way of living that it reflects His heart, who He is. Why? It says, verse 19, For, though the law, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, not I am being crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In other words, this is the new way of living. What? Free in Christ. This is the new way of living. What? Free from the expectations and the pressures because Jesus took care of that. And now His life in me gives me a new way of living. Not my performance so that I can reach the new way of living. It's His life in me that gives me the power to live out the newness of life. It's like you're going backwards here because you're allowing performance to nullify the life within you that empowers you to live the new life. He says, but I have been crucified with Christ. I love that because when I first came to Christ, they, they, they taught me that I, the only way to overcome sin is continually crucify the flesh. I don't know if you went through that, but I did. That was torture. Every time I sinned, I crucify the flesh. Temptation, I crucify the flesh. 
I was emphasizing on the wrong thing because the flesh is already crucified. I was not renewing my mind to who I already was in Christ. I focused more on overcoming the sin than living the overcoming life. Does that make sense? And because I focused more on overcoming sin, all I kept on doing was sinning. Because if I have to think I have to be overcoming sin, then that means I'm still a failure, I'm still a loser, and I'm not winning. See, but if I am already an overcomer of sin, that's a different story. Christ already overcame the sin for me. It's the problem is my mind needs to begin to embrace and believe it. That's my renovation of, or renewal of my mind. That's my process of sanctification. My process of sanctification isn't beating my flesh up. My process of sanctification is renewing my mind to embrace who I already am in Christ. The more you focus on your overcoming life, you will begin to live an overcoming life. So I've been crucified with Christ. No longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. He doesn't say, I'm being crucified and darn it, every day I have to crucify it. It's already done. So what does he say? And the life I now live is focused on nailing that flesh to the cross every day. No. The life I now live in this body, in this flesh, I live by faith, not performance. I live by faith, not expectations of what I haven't reached. I live by faith in the Son of God who already took care of it, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I, I live for Him. It doesn't say I live for a list. I live for Him. I'm not canceling out the commandments of the Lord. But you have to understand that if all we see is commandments, then all we will live is performance. But if all I see is Jesus, then I see His commandments as values that He's already given me in Him. It's a culture that I'm embracing because I'm a child of God. See, we were adopted into the family of God. What does that mean? See, as orphans, we picked up bad habits. But when we came into the family of God, we begin to embrace new values that this family has. You know, there's kids that are orphans, but they tend to go from, at times, home to home until they're finally adopted. And in that process, every one of those homes tends to give them a list of what they should and shouldn't do. But when they finally are adopted, this is the experience most people, most kids get when they're adopted. Truly adopted by a family that loves them, the family don't present them a list. They just show them how they do things. See, but... We, the family of God, have it backwards. We love to show people the list before they even get the experience of what the family looks like. Does that make sense? We deal with people not 
as family. We deal with them as someone that has to fulfill levels of expectations before they can be accepted and truly righteous. And we have to be, we have to take down that list and show them who Jesus is through us. This is who we are. We are people of grace, of love, of compassion. We are people that are free in Christ. We are people that have embraced who He's called us to be as righteous in His sight. But if you put the list up, it's because that's how you live. You continue to see God as a list, not as a person. And that's the reason why you continue to see yourself as guilty, shameful, falling short, never being enough or doing enough. God saying something today. Enough with that. I love you the way you are, but yet at the same time, I've given you my spirit so that you can continue to grow and embrace your identity and who you are in Christ. That will change your experience. But the Lord is saying, I'm not placing expectations on you because every expectation has already been fulfilled in Christ on the cross. He's made up the difference. And because He's made up the difference... All of us are made righteous in his eyes. With the record of Christ, not your past records. Don't define yourself by your past. Define yourself by what Jesus says about you. Amen. So I I just want to conclude with this. I don't know what pressure you're going through right now. What expectations are upon you at this moment. And what you're feeling about them. See, because you're performing and you're probably tired. You're probably discouraged. You're probably frustrated. You're probably depressed. But the Lord wants to free you from all of that. He wants you to rest on His finished work. He wants you to know that you are fully loved, that you are fully blessed, that you are fully His child, and that He doesn't have levels of expectations on you because it's already fulfilled in Christ Jesus. He just wants you to come and rest in His love. He wants you to come and rest in the freedom of who He's called you to be in Christ. It's time for us to release ourselves, free ourselves from the level of expectations we even have put upon ourselves. You are not a failure. You have not come up short. Jesus has changed all that. You are a victor. You are more than an overcomer. You have more than enough because he's already taken care of all of it. So what lies do you have to tear down to begin to embrace who you really are in Christ? The prayer team is going to come up. And I don't want you to just take this moment as, okay, sermon's done, I'm going home. But the prayer team is up here for a reason, so that they can pray with you. See, the beautiful thing about finishing a service off isn't just listening to a sermon and going home, but it's, it's individually going to the Lord personally and saying, all right, God, this is what's up. This is what I've been believing, and I don't want to believe this anymore. I'm going to surrender to you my beliefs. 
so that I can embrace yours about me. It's time to let go of the fear and the level of expectations we've been under. It's time to live in the freedom of our identities in Christ Jesus. And if you need that, those that are up here want to pray for you and help you through that. But I want to pray for everyone right now just to close us out. But as I said, I don't want you to go home without feeling closure about this. You need it. You need that prayer. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here. God, I just feel your peace in such a strong wave here. I just feel like a wave coming in. Thank you for that peace because sometimes we don't rest. We don't know what resting in your finished work means because we always feel like doing is the right thing. We've got to do, we've got to do, we've got to do. And the Lord is saying, you've got to rest, you've got to rest, you've got to rest. So Lord, right now we just release all our beliefs about ourselves that are not true. We release them now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we open our hearts and our minds to embrace what you say about us. You define us. And you've defined us already in Christ. Lord, and we receive that truth right now. And we allow it to sink in to begin to transform our experience and how we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.